worked again in Airdrie Baptist Church. Um, I hail from Falkirk, and I can remember in the late 40s coming to Airdrie as a young lad, obviously, um, and singing with the Falkirk Gospel Male Voice Choir. And over the years since, between having some relatives in Airdrie and now my daughter living in the area, it's good to have this renewed opportunity to meet and to share with you, though you are far away from us at this moment. Welcome again. We're going to read a passage from 1 Peter uh, towards the end of the New Testament um, and from chapter 5. Um, and we'll read the first 11 verses. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not longing it not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the, God, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will humble, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you are the Lord of life, that you are the one who has made us, created us, and provides for us, and supplies our needs. We thank you above all that you've given us your Son, Jesus, as our Savior, as our Lord, and as our friend. And you have given us your Holy Spirit to live within us and to motivate and encourage us in our day-to-day -day living. May that Spirit take the word that we've read and make it effective in our lives. May we find the hope that our brother was talking about and that we might find your purposes in all that we seek to be and do. In Jesus we pray. Amen.
shortly after um, I was invited to come and take this service this morning, um, we came across the Collingsworth family on YouTube uh, videos, a family in the States that uh, travel around the States singing the whole six of them, and now some grandchildren travel with them as well. And one night I was listening, and this song struck me because I was reflecting and thinking on the word that I'm about to bring. And it was a line that says, God sees the storm from the other side that clarifies some of my thinking and uh, in my preparation. The 2020 global coronavirus pandemic will long be remembered in world history, especially by the way it has affected the world in so many different ways. And from the serious to the flippant, folks have responded to this whole period of time. I remember early on, within a few weeks of the lockdown, one of my retired ministerial colleagues sent me an email in which he made comment about the lockdown. He said, this has been great. I've painted a room, the hallway and porch. I've changed the garden, including painting a fence and a gate. And we've rearranged the furniture, books and filing systems, as well as longer walks with the dog. Now, I don't know what he's thinking now, after all these months. But of course, it's been far more serious than that, this whole period of time, when people have been tested and found to be positive with the virus, affecting so much within family circles. The stress on the NHS and the frontline workers, the pressure on families when someone has gone into hospital, or the elderly folks in the care homes, the problems of not seeing uh, our friends and our loved ones, and the devastation that ultimately comes when bereavement strikes. And on top of all that, the effect that has happened on the economies throughout the world, the loss of jobs and employment, the closure of businesses, and we've heard it week in, week out. But the storm, having come, is also a time when it's not there. Having been looking at First Peter for a wee while and thinking of the relevant situations that we're in, here is a word I would want to share with you. A lovely promise towards the end of that chapter that we read from in chapter 5 and verses 10 and 11, which we'll come to. But let's see some of the matters dealt with by the Apostle Peter as he wrote this letter. What about the context of the letter? Now, this epistle is written by none other than a close disciple to Jesus. Peter was one of the inner three that Jesus found he spoke with much more than perhaps to the other disciples. Many would have coveted the privilege of being one of the twelve who accompanied the Lord Jesus through his earthly ministry. For Peter had this close relationship with the Lord, and uh, along with James and John, they heard many challenging things, both privately and in the shared group, the larger group, 
But Peter, like some of the other disciples, didn't always pay attention to what Jesus said at the time. But later in life, they remembered. They remembered some of the things that he did say, some of which are seen here in this letter from Peter. For this letter was a response to the coming persecution that was about to overtake the Mediterranean world uh, as far as the Christian church was concerned. Peter was writing to Christian exiles scattered around Asia Minor, Gentile believers who had committed to following Jesus. And so he writes in that first and second and, and into the third chapter little things like in verse 6, for a little while you may have to suffer various trials. For a little while. Or in chapter 3, uh, the Christians are likely to be accused as evildoers. In chapter 4, about a fiery trial that lies ahead of them. And when they suffer, they have to commit themselves to God. And there's also the idea that they may well have to suffer for righteousness' sake, though they are not wrongdoers. And in the chapter that we read from, they will only be sharing in what their brothers are suffering throughout the world. Peter is recalling what Jesus said about suffering persecution when he writes this letter. Remember, it was in Matthew 5 that Jesus, in the midst of the Beatitudes, said, Blessed are you, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! And be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. This whole aspect of suffering lying ahead of this community of believers around a few countries or regions. But remember how it was that Paul said it to Timothy in the second book, second letter he sent in the third chapter. He said to Timothy, give all followers of Jesus a realistic picture of what it means to be a Christian. This is what he said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, since, since 50 AD, the believers have seen persecution for being uh, those who follow Jesus. And it was in AD 62 that James uh, was taken and killed. In chapter 12 of Acts, you read that story, particularly about Peter. But James was taken and killed, and it was likely that Peter was going the same way. And yet, there was a, mar a remarkable escape for Peter from prison, and uh, it showed that God was on his side. A dilemma there, though. Why James, not Peter? Why Peter, not James? But that's in the Lord's hands, and that's his prerogative to allow these things to happen. But while the Christian community had been thought of in the early years as a Jewish sect, which was 
accepted because the Jewish faith was generally uh, acceptable around the, the then known world. When Nero came to power as Roman emperor, the onslaught of persecution came on the Christians with ferocity. And some, for some, it was quite horrific what they had done to them as a means of making use of them. And it's into these circumstances that Peter wrote this message of hope and encouragement to those people who would face these trials and the other battles in life as followers of Jesus. And as our brother read about hope, as he spoke about hope, here is this word from Peter bringing hope to those believers. So the letter is grounded in the life and in the death and especially in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now actually the blessing at the beginning of the letter is quite remarkable. A tremendous piece of uh, encouragement. Praise be to the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, nor fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed to you at the last time. <coughs> in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials for a little while. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What a remarkable ascription of praise. And here is Peter, grounded on all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done and all that he has accomplished. The sermon today is not about suffering. And we all have our questions about suffering and its effects. I was reading the other week uh, that piece by John Humphreys where he said the uh, suffering of Aberfan was that which turned him from faith in God. And while this is not about suffering, it's there. It comes to us in different ways, at different pressures, with different challenges. It might be, as we have been referring to about the Roman world, seen in the persecutions of others in other countries around our globe at this time. It might be the experience of bereavement, the suffering, of illness, or even a visit to the dentist. And of course, in many ways, the current pandemic has presented us with many levels of suffering. The storm has come physically, mentally, emotionally, economically, catching the virus, time in hospital, isolation, partings from family, losing work, the struggle with poverty or the ultimate of loss of a family member. And yet here Peter comes with a word for us in today. 
from this letter with encouragement and with hope to provide us with. That's the kind of context of this letter. The contents of the letter, well, I don't know that we'll go over all these just now. That's an exercise for you for the afternoon or the evening to pick out all the themes that Peter touches on in this letter to these young believers now prepared or preparing to face a real drastic time. But there's lots of themes in here. The contents of this epistle are tremendous. Resurrection, God's power through faith, suffering for a little while, coming of Christ, the prophetic inquiries, and on and on it goes. And uh, the, the, it, it, it's, it's worth time to just go through that letter. It doesn't take long to read it in totality. And it's there to remind us of the things that we need to know, believe, and follow. And that's why the letter is written also. Some believe this was a pastoral, a pastoral letter. It is a pastoral letter. And as Peter, as pastor to these people dispersed throughout Asia Minor, he gives them words of guidance and wisdom. That's the uh, contents. But it's also the concern of Peter that they should know what to do, how to face these situations, that in fact their lives count in the midst of all adversity, that they have to be holy like God is holy, that they have to keep themselves from the former way of life, that they have to go forward into the future with faith and perseverance and with hope in Christ. Come to him, he says in the second chapter. Come to him, keep coming to the living stone. The believers keep coming to Jesus and hunger for the word, the pure spiritual milk, and keep growing up in salvation and don't stand still and apply your minds to all of these. A most challenging and encouraging word. These are just extracts from the letter. But Peter has a concern for those people as any true pastor does, who need to know their faith, why they're being called this way, and the things that will help them to live for Jesus. It's a practical letter. It's built upon all that Jesus accomplished by his life and death and resurrection and the hope of his return. That's the concern of the apostle. But fourth, the conclusion with a great promise. <coughs> I uh, have a little book, I think I've got it in my folder there, that um, you've heard me perhaps before talk about Eddie Askew, who was the general director of the Leprosy Mission, where I served for a few years. And he made uh, up little uh, meditations that he sent to the whole of the staff around the world. And some of us said to him, why don't you put these into print? And so, ultimately, he did. And there's a whole series of them. And there's one that's entitled, Facing the Storm. And as he, um, as he unfolds this idea, again, he comes with words of encouragement and words of hope and words of challenge. And then we heard the Collingsworth sing about God seeing the storm from the other side. I found that most haunting, perhaps, most uh, 
confident building, confidence building, that God knows what's all going on. Indeed, what's going on with this pandemic around the world, you hear all these comments that are made by different people about it being the judgment of God. Who says it is? But who says it isn't? And many things that God has allowed and permitted, and we're crying on Him for help and an understanding. But here we are at the passage that's important. This is the verse that made me come to this section of Peter. This is the verse that brings Peter's pastoral care to the possibility of receiving what the Lord has to say. Here is a meaningful promise when we're in the midst of the storms of life, the suffering and the persecution, and even this pandemic. Peter concludes his epistle with a great promise for the circumstances and which is applicable to us. I've often used this little section in pastoral visitation, found it helpful, and found it being an encouragement to others. And the verse 10 is the, is the verse that I want to leave with you. That the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, there's that phrase again, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And it's in this final chapter that the apostle is challenging the elders, the leaders of these groups of folk around Asia Minor, that they should be shepherds of God's flock that's under their care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And the chief shepherd will give you an unfading crown when he appears. Here's Peter as the shepherd of the flock, as the one who has been given that task. Remember how Jesus met him on the lakeside after the resurrection, Peter had, had, had denied the Lord. Peter knew what it was to suffer, to suffer deep in soul, to suffer into his heart, into his mind, into his conscience. He was devastated. And here's a word for him from Peter. Peter is giving a word to himself but passing it on to others that after having suffered a little while, God himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And how Peter knew that experience, he knew what it was to be restored back to where he had been, that he was given strength, that he was given firmness, the rock-like uh, experience, and that he became steadfast even unto the end of his uh, earthly life. And the young men in this section are also being told not to be proud, but to be humble. 
so that the Almighty God will lift them up in due time, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you, and cast your anxiety on Him. And so, Peter talks and reminds them that the devil is always busy trying to uh, trip them up. And remember, he said, your brothers throughout the whole world are undergoing the same kind of suffering as you are. So here, the God of all grace, the one who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Peter emphasizes this glory in the Lord quite frequently. It's, as it were, setting these people in their minds and their hearts and their lives to the fact that what they go through now, what we go through now, is not forever. It's a passing phase. It's for a little while. And that can be expanded or contracted depending on where you are and what you're going through. But Peter knew the need to be restored and to be made strong and to be firm and, and to, to be steadfast because of all the denial and the weakness and the loss of meaning and sense that he experienced. And who of us don't from time to time go through passages like that? So here, God himself is doing this. It's not a pastor. It's not a preacher. It's not a disciple. It's not an apostle. God himself will restore you. It's like setting a fracture. It's like mending nets. It's supplying what is missing, mending the broken. Suffering is meant by God to add the grace, riches to life. That's a promise for us in the now. And he'll establish you. He'll make you as solid as granite. That's how Peter was, wasn't he? He faced up to all sorts of things after his experience. He will establish you. He will strengthen you. He'll fill you with resolve. It's like, as once somebody said to me, it's putting your faith where your mouth has been, like when the rubber hits the road. And the most wonderful part of this promise is the love and tenderness of the Almighty. He himself will do this. Let me sum up the verse in the words of uh, Eugene Peterson as he translates it, paraphrases it. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with all Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Peter finishes off this epistle in this chapter with the word of peace, peace to all of you who are in Christ. I want you to listen to another clip from little Claire Crosby, a little five-year-old singing about peace in Christ, who gives us hope when hope is gone, who gives us strength when we can't go on, 
and gives us shelter from the storms of life. When there's no peace on earth, there is peace in Christ. Let's hear these words.